Today's scripture reading is from the Gospel according to John, chapter 21, verses 15 to 19. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very well, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Glad to be with you again. You know, I'm so inspired uh, by the singing here, but I'm most inspired by the drumming. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know how to drum, but every time I watch Curtis drum, I think that's when I want to be a drummer. But you don't want to watch me drumming. <laughs> I'm just uh, so uncoordinated, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to be with you again this morning, and uh, we're continuing on our fall series on uh, <clears throat> hospitality and the generous grace of God towards us, his children. And so today we have another story of, uh, of generous grace, as Jesus prepares, Jesus prepares to uh, a meal for his disciples. I think we can all share uh, seminal moments around family dinners. I know I can. Our family being early immigrants um, to this country with little resources, very little resources, faced some pretty challenging times and struggles. It was very trying for my parents especially. Uh, and. You know, and the tensions uh, often made uh, familiar relationships uh, trying, very trying. At times, they were difficult. But we always knew that things were okay when my mom made a beautiful meal for us as we sat around that table together. Because my mom, if you know, you guys probably don't know my mom, because my mom, my mom, sorry, Grace, is the best cook ever <laughs> she could whip up a she could whip up a banquet with just very little ingredients and my family meals became a sanctuary for those storms that often assail immigrants and refugee families our narrative this morning reminds me of my uh, own experience of refuge around family meals Jesus preparing breakfast for his tired disciples. Things went all right in their relationship. All of them left Jesus when he needed them 
the most. But Peter's denial likely cut the deepest, both for Peter and for Jesus. Our story actually began earlier that uh, uh, morning, before it was light, under the leadership of Simon Peter. Thomas, Nathaniel, James, John, and other disciples, a couple other disciples, decided to go fishing. After all, what were they to do? Jesus has risen from the dead, but it's kind of mysterious, you know? Something has changed in their relationship. Jesus was alive, they knew that, but what, what now? He was still their master, but he didn't hang out with them the way he used to in the past. Actually, Jesus was more mysterious to them, I think, now than when he was alive. If I were them, I wouldn't know what to think about it. Jesus was always different from other rabbis. You know, he hung out with them. He hung out with people that were kind of the riffraff of society, you know, whereas other rabbis would have just, you know, ignored them. But Jesus was a little bit different. But now he's kind of baffling, really, walking through walls, <laughs> materializing out of nowhere, kind of spooky, if you ask me, right? So I think, I think they had a pretty good strategy in wrestling through the trauma that they have experienced in the previous weeks. They must have thought to themselves, themselves fishing. That's what we know. It was our life before Jesus. It was be predictable and stable doing what their fathers did before them, making a living, carrying on uh, as normal as, as could be. And in as much as it was exciting to follow Jesus, he was kind of unpredictable. And he really knew how to tick off the establishment. So fishing seems to be a good idea. At least, you know, I know about fishing. Healing the sick, casting out demons, Taking on injustice, that was Jesus' thing. <laughs> I'm just a fisherman. I know how to fish. It's not hard to imagine, right? If I were one of them, I'd be thinking, what does Jesus expect from people like us anyways? We have no education, no influence, no political power, no resources, nobody's. Really, fishermen, that's who we are. That's what we know what to do. And on that particular day, they weren't doing so well fishing either. <laughs> I think they would have happily have gone on with their lives. Um, and then that morning, somebody comes up on the shores and calls them friends, friends. Catch anything? <laughs> Good question. Let me tell you, there is nothing worse for a fisherman to come home empty, empty-handed. I know, like my, my dad, I also love fishing. On one occasion, he, he and my brother-in-law went out fishing all day, and then they come home with a 25-pound spring salmon. Ooh, right? We're all so excited. My mom, you know, she's in the kitchen ready to cook the thing. They look so proud. 
of their accomplishment. Years later, when my dad was a little bit older, he confessed to me they didn't catch that fish. <laughs> they couldn't bear coming home empty-handed and bought the fish off another fisherman. <laughs> now, fishing, if you're a fisherman, is a desperate sport. So I fully identify with these guys who've been fishing all night and caught nothing. There's nothing worse. There was a nothing, not the worst question Jesus could have asked them was, did you catch anything? <laughs> and of course, Jesus does what only Jesus could do, right? He can do. He says to them, well, why don't you just throw the net over in the other side of the boat there and see what happens? And for some reason, they do this, right? And, of course, the, their nets are full. And, um, and John recognizes who this person was. He says to all of them, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. An epiphany. And when Peter understood who was calling out to them, he couldn't wait to get off the boat that, to, uh, to that dock. He covers himself. Remember another story where somebody else covered themselves? In the Garden of Eden, right? When the Lord God walked in the garden in the cool of the day, he calls out to Adam, 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 where are you? And Adam says, uh, I'm hiding because I'm naked. Covering up for the things we've done wrong is instinctual for how human beings act, right? My son learned this very early in his life. He's just a little boy, you know, he's very rambunctious and, and uh, we hear a big crash in the kitchen, right? The, uh, the, the refrigerator door is open and the orange juice uh, is spilled all over the floor. I go in there and I say to him, what happened? He says, nothing. Pretty cute. So, but it's, com it's commendable that Peter uh, doesn't hide. He jumps in the side, from the side room and swims to meet, meet Jesus. I think he wants to own up, right? Make things right. But don't know quite how to do it. I love Peter. He's a man who wears his heart on his sleeves. Like all of us, he has faults. He often speaks and acts before his th he thinks like the type in the garden where he attempts to protect the Lord, withdraws a sword and cuts off the uh, uh, servant of the high priest's ears. Right? I don't think he was aiming for his ear. He was just not a very good swordsman. <laughs> Numerous times in the gospel, writers record Peter opening up his mouth inappropriately. He's a character, this man, Peter. Right? And we're not like or agree with some of the things this guy did. But one thing we can't fault him on is his passion. He's not a guy who does anything half-heartedly, even when he makes mistakes. And it's a biggie. He's a man who wears his heart on his sleeves. I wonder how he must have felt seeing Jesus again. His friend, whom he truly loved, but whom he also denied three times. 
I'm sure he felt pretty low. And so when we come to our text, Peter and his disciples have just finished eating breakfast, that, a breakfast that Jesus prepared for them. They have been having small talks around the fire, warming themselves up as they wait for the day to unfold. Everyone around that campfire would have known what Jesus had done, uh, what Peter had done. It wasn't as bad as Judas, but it was bad enough. And nothing has been said. And it's Jesus who brings this up this uncomfortable topic up. And he asked Peter this piercing, piercing question. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And using Peter's birth name, Simon, those around the fire must have suspected that rebuke was about to take place. Because Jesus often called Peter by his family name, Simon, whenever there was something going wrong, you know, in his life. Right? Some ill-considered acts in Peter's life. Mark chapter 14, 37, he says to Peter, or Simon, can't you stay up with me for an hour? Luke 22, 31, says to Peter, Simon, Simon, son of John, again. <laughs> Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What are the these? Was it the other disciples? Was it the tools for his fishing profession? Boats, nets, and other fishing paraphernalia? Probably all of the above. But in asking that question, Jesus touches on the singular characteristic that defines what it means to be his disciple. What it means to be, belong to that tribe that call themselves, call ourselves, the people of God. The identifying mark of the people of God, according to Deuteronomy chapter 6, is this. That they love God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their minds, and with all their strength. And then in Luke 20, 10, verse 27, it combines it with Leviticus 19, to love your neighbor as yourself. So this was no trite question that Jesus was putting on. It was at the very heart for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? It's a piercing question for Peter, as well as for us. For, we, for it wrestles uh, with what we consider the most valuable in our lives. What motivates us? What drives us? What gives our lives meaning and purpose? I imagine all the chitter-chatter around that fire that morning would have stopped. And all years and Eyes are strained to hear what Peter's response would be. And I think it would have been a really soft response. Yeah. Yes, yes, Lord, you know. You know I love you. And Pete, Jesus asked Peter the same question three times in response to Peter's trice denial of him. 
The question, though difficult, was exactly what Peter needed to move forward. Despite Peter's past denial and abandonment of Jesus, Jesus had not abandoned him. Jesus does not give up on Peter. He understands what Peter is struggling with, and he wants Peter to let go of the guilt and the shame that he must have felt and is still feeling to restore him to his dignity, or the Chinese might say, to give him his face back. So what do we make of this story? What are some takeaways? One takeaway would be genuine friendship makes room for authentic, authentic uh, conversations. I think Peter's denial of Jesus had really shaken him to the bone. In Matthew chapter 26, recounting how Peter reacted when he realized the gravity of his action, Peter was shocked and overwhelmed by the shame of his denial, realizing that he was not as brave or as loyal as he thought. His self-image was shattered, and he'd been carrying the weight of guilt and embarrassment ever since. This once brash, strong-minded man was reduced to a whimpering shell of himself as he wept bitterly with the impact of the knowledge of what he had just done. He was shocked to deliver to discover that he was not the man he thought or imagined himself to be. He claimed that if everyone fell away from Jesus, he would never do that, Matthew 26, 33. He declared that he was ready to go with Jesus to prison, even to death. But the reality was much different. No, when confronting with the suffering of Jesus, in Matthew 26, 74, we read that Peter vehemently, he cursed even that he did not know this man. And the shame of it must have been unbearable. For when he heard from Mary Magdalene that Jesus was alive, he was one of the first to run to the grave. When he understood that it was Jesus on the beach calling to him, he couldn't wait for the boat to dock and jumped into that water himself, the first to reach Jesus. Why was he so anxious? My guess is that he wanted to make things right. He wanted to be free from the burden of guilt and the embarrassment of shame. No one has said anything to him before, but they all knew, and worst of all, Peter knew. And Jesus doesn't disappoint Peter. He brings up the heart of the issue, which is the issue of his heart. The heart of the issue was the issue of his heart. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Is the core question that Peter was wrestling with. This is what true friends do for one another. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. I wonder how many of us have missed the opportunity for genuine friendships by avoiding difficult questions and difficult conversations. I've been a Christian for over 60 years, been involved in Christian ministry, both lay and vocational, for over 30, 40 years. I've witnessed a number of church splits, painful, all of them. I've seen friends, even family splits because people were unwilling to speak and listen to one another. To be frank, I'm 
I'm quite disappointed at sometimes how shallow and superficial church relationships can be. Sometimes I think we need to just confront each other and ask of our brother and of our sister sitting next to us, do you love me? Do you really, really love me? And Peter could have run away. Jesus could have ignored him. But neither of them did because their relationship was precious enough for Jesus to engage in a deeply authentic conversation with Peter to help Peter face the real issue he was struggling with. Where was his heart, really? Genuine friendship makes room for authentic conversations. The second take home I, I got from this text is friendships involves the risky task of trusting. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because servants do not uh, know their master's uh, business. Instead, I've, I've called you friends for everything that I learn from my father, I have made known to you. I find Jesus' response to Peter's um, struggling reply interesting. He instructs him to do three things when it comes to loving, learning to loving, love him. He tells him to feed my lambs. Twice he does that. Tend my sheep. And then to be willing to lead to places where he would not rather not go. Strange instructions, don't you think? Feed my lambs if you love me. Tend my sheep if you love me and be willing to go where you do not want to go. And then he qualifies the, all his instruction to one command. Follow me. Follow me. See, Jesus' love for Peter had not changed. Everyone around that fire knew what Peter had done. Peter knows that uh, Peter knows what he's done. But Jesus does not expel him from the group of his followers. I mean, Peter might have been more relieved if Jesus kicked him out of the group. No. Instead, Peter invites him to the precious work that Jesus has been doing. They are his sheep, my sheep that Jesus has, mine. I'm going to do something incredible. I'm going to entrust them to you, the one who denied me. When Jesus invites Peter to feed, tend, follow, it's not a test of Peter's love, but an affirmation of Jesus' love for Peter and entrusting Peter the, the responsibility that belonged to Jesus himself, he has in a way chose Peter to succeed him, placing onto Peter the mantle of leadership. Can you imagine what that must, what, how Peter might have felt at that moment? Peter who denied him, 
will spend the rest of his life carrying on with the unfinished work of Jesus that, has, that Jesus has left behind. It's quite amazing, isn't it? This is forgiveness and restoration at his very best. And part of this process includes feeding, tending, being led. And this passage is not, for, not just for Peter and for pastors, it's for all of us who claim to follow Jesus, right? I suggest this acts of feeding, tending, and being led is at, very, at the very heart of being a disciple of Jesus. For it is in our engagement of feeding, tending, and being led that we enter into the very heart of God's work and learn of the meaning of God's word and the fullness of God's love. It's impossible for us to grow in our love for God or even our understanding, of it, albeit limited of his nature, if we are not engaged in this work. Follow me means to learn about me, learn from me, learn to be like me. Do you love me, Peter? Enter into my love by feeding and tending and letting go of your need to control. And all of us, Peter, the disciples, you and I, are invited on this journey to love Jesus. We don't have to go very far to find hungry people. They are everywhere. Students in our classrooms, colleagues around the water cooler, classmates, friends, family members. What does, that, what does feeding them look like? For the people in your life. Perhaps it's just a simple meal you invite them to participate in. Perhaps it's a hug. Perhaps it's an appropriate word. It's not always comfortable. They're sometimes awkward, but always engaging and involved. Ten my sheep. You know the root for uh, Taking care is attend, to pay attention to them, to cultivate the best for them and from them, and caring for the other's well-being. Following and ultimately loving Jesus always means the care of others. And we don't do this all by ourselves, but Jesus wasn't talk, just talking to Peter around that campfire. He was talking to everyone, because everyone was listening in on that conversation. He was talking to us as well. And here's the thing, we get to do this as soon as we first take the first steps to follow Jesus. We don't have to go to seminary to follow Jesus. We don't have to have years of Bible studies to follow Jesus, though they're both helpful. We just do it. We just do it. And what we need will come to us when we need it. Jesus said to his disciples, when you go, don't worry about what you'll say. When the right time comes, I'll give you the right words. I found this more, more than to be true. I've learned more about the scriptures by teaching them. I've learned more about evangelism, evangelism by sharing my faith. I've learned more about missions by doing missions. I've learned more about preaching by preaching. You're never going to learn more about Jesus than doing what Jesus is doing. But following Jesus, unfortunately, takes time. Time to pray, time to spend, time to waste even, time to listen, 
time to give. And in a world like ours, when time seems to be the least of our resources, we are to make the most of it for the well-being of others. And we're doing, we are to do this in Christ, through Christ, expecting nothing in return. It's risky and certainly sometimes draining work. Because these sheep, like us, are not always dependable, not always reciprocal, not always thankful. They may disappoint, and they may even hurt. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. And then to be willing to go to places that you didn't want to go. And I find this last and this third invitation the most challenging in my life. The one thing I've learned about Christian ministry is that we're led, we're sent. Right? And sometimes we're led to places to work and work with people that we would not have chosen to go to or meet with, not in our wildest imagination. You know, on our first trip to China in the early 90s, Grace and I and our, with our kids ended up in a place where we never heard of. Originally, we were supposed to end up in Nanjing, a large metropolitan city with amenities. But we ended up in a small city far from anywhere, literally, in the middle of the middle of China. And if you, were, you, know, if you look at China, China is like a, a rooster, you know, like a chicken. And then you point in the middle of that chicken, you will see where we ended up. Not the place we imagined we'd end up, especially with children. But if you were to ask my kids about it, they'd say it was one of the most memorable moments of their lives, and ours as well. Being led to places where we do not want to go is, a, is hard because we come face to face with our own weaknesses, our shortcomings, our inadequacies. But it is in this place where we're willing, where we're the weakest and the most inadequate that God wants to bring us so that we can experience the depth of his love. Jesus led to a place he struggled but submitted to go, stretched out on the cross, beaten and dying, at his most vulnerable point. Salvation comes to the world. Jesus' instruction to Peter, follow me, affirms his acceptance and embrace of Peter What's and all, these words are summed up um, all that he'd been trying to convey to Peter. And as, uh, and as John, John recalls their conversation. And Peter will never forget this moment. In 1 Peter 4, verse 8, Peter, recalling this, his lesson, writes these instructions to the suffering church in Asia Minor and to us as well. He says these words in 1 Peter 4, verse 8, above all, Above everything, above anything, above all, loving one another earnestly. Love, since love covers up a multitude of sins. You think Peter learned his lessons? <laughs> above all. I think he really took Jesus' words to heart and it frames his entire uh, life and ministry from that moment on. 
Follow me involves investing our lives in others, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, being led to where you may not want to go. It's the place where we crucify our selfish ways, our puny egos, our need to be in control, and just trust. Trust Jesus. Trust him when he says, I send you as lambs among wolves, that he knows what he's doing. Trust him when he says, go, take nothing with you, I'll provide. He knows what he's doing. Let go of your need to be in control. Trust him when he says, you can do this. Because bottom line in loving Jesus is trusting him as he trusts you with his precious work in spite, despite our inadequacy. And we're all in some way like Peter. I know I am. I don't know about you, but I know I am. I've failed the Lord many times. I've made many mistakes in my life. I've hurt people that I love. Not intentionally, but I have just the same. I've not always made good decisions. And I find myself lacking all the time in many ways. And I read these words of Jesus to Peter and and I'm comforted by them. For I know that in them Jesus has entrusted what is his to my care somehow. And has restored my face, giving me dignity when I failed in so, so many ways. Peter, do you love me? Tom, do you love me? Justin, David, Curtis, Paul, Rosemary, John, do you love me? I'm going to trust you to feed my sheep, to tend my sheep, and to go where you may not want to go. Making room for friendship will involve authentic conversation and the risky task of entrusting one another as the Lord has entrusted you and me, his church, with his sheep and with his mission. May the Lord lend you his strength as you make room for friendships to bloom here in this place we call First Baptist Church, Vancouver. Let me pray for you. Father, we are overwhelmed by your love for us, your trust in us. We don't deserve any of it. We're lacking in so many, so many ways. And we fail you every day. And yet you still come to us, inviting us to participate in what you want to do on this place and in this city and in this world. And for that, we are grateful. Give us the strength, Lord. Fill us with your spirit, Lord, to carry out what you have called us to do. For we ask it in Jesus' strong name. Amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. 
For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.